Dispatch, this is 3-1. Show me Papa Romeo at the home of the regiment. 3-1, this is Dispatch, Papa Romeo at the Welcome to the Papa Romeo Podcast, the only podcast by MPs for MPs with an inside look you can only get at the base of the flagpole. I'm your host, Captain Steve Wynn, joined by the creator and producer, Captain Laura Means. On this podcast, we're going to uncover the stories that make up our regiment with leadership lessons, wisdom, and helpful tips from MPs across the Corps. Papa Romeo begins right now. Welcome to another episode of Papa Romeo. Before we get started with our interview, Steve and I have a few announcements to make. Steve is transitioning out of the Army, and he needs to take some time getting all his things in order to make sure that transition is as smooth as possible. As a result, you'll probably be hearing more of me and less of Steve. Also, I'm moving on from Fort Leonard Wood to my next assignment, which includes two years of graduate school. While I anticipate having plenty of time to keep Papa Romeo going, I am going to change the publishing format a little bit to ensure I can devote enough time to my studies. As such, we will close out this season with a few more episodes and then take a longer break until next year. Starting in January, we will publish season three, releasing one new episode a month. I know from personal experience that it's pretty disappointing waiting for your favorite podcast to release, and I know our podcast is one of your favorites now, but I hope you'll understand and continue to listen to Papa Romeo anyway. Today we have an interview with my previous battalion commander, Lieutenant Colonel Stephen Caruso. He talks about MPs at division, shares a great learning experience he had as a captain, and tells some phenomenal stories. Enjoy. All right, good afternoon. Welcome to Papa Romeo. Uh, today we have with us uh, Lieutenant Colonel Caruso, Stephen Caruso, um, the battalion commander for the 787th Military Police Battalion. Excellence always. Excellence always. Um, thank you for joining us today on this interview. Thank you for the invitation. I know you've been harping on me for the better part of two years now to get me in here to do this, Laura. Yes, sir. So I appreciate finally <laughs> 48 days before I change command. Uh, absolutely. To get, to get me in and absolutely, sir. Okay. All right, so let's start with an icebreaker question. Yep. Uh, I've heard there's this song, they sing it in Philly, something like Fly. Oh, you, you really want me to sing the fight, Eagles? Fight absolutely. Song. Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to. Forget, I'm not going to sing the Eagles fight song, but know uh, that the the Super Bowl champion Philadelphia Eagles, as they are referred to, um, are, are alive and well in Philadelphia and are and are set it up for a repeat year. So, uh, fly Eagles, fly <laughs> on the road to victory. Yes, sir. Because you'll definitely use that against me. It'll be on Facebook me singing the Eagles fight song. Absolutely. Go birds. Um, so seriously, sir, icebreaker question: What's your most embarrassing moment from your teen years? Uh, you know, I was thinking about that earlier. I, I, I racked my head. I don't, I really can't. I honestly don't, like there was never a, you know, pants coming off in the ocean or there was never, I never had one of those, like a super embarrassing moment. Okay. I really didn't. Uh, the, the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to me, I was still young, but when I was, I was in the army, was, was in Germany. I, I think I told you the story about the the whole woods, uh, running through the woods trying to get back. Yes. I'm not sure if that's appropriate. It is. Tell it, sir. Really? Absolutely. That is by far the most embarrassing thing that ever happened to me in my life. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't young. So I was, uh, I was enlisted, stationed in Germany. And uh, we were, 
I think attached to the 92nd MP Company in Baumholder, but we were working in uh, Neubrucke, a little little concern. Uh, I don't think it's there anymore. I drove through years later and it was gone. Um, Neubrucke, and I was uh, I was there attached to an ADA unit, and uh, the company commander, who we may get into later, he was the catalyst in me going green and gold. Um, uh, he he would take the entire company out on this run, eight mile run through the woods called the Uselfinch. Uh, you speak fluent German. What does Uselfinch mean? It is not a word. It is not a word. Uh, okay, <laughs> he told us that it was a, a chicken chase, uh, something like that, that that we would go. I mean, that at. could there could be something in there that's been butchered over no, generations of of speaking it with an. Uh, but so that's not a word. The Uselfinch was uh, was uh, we were supposed to go out into the woods and chase this 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 chicken that did not exist through the woods and we had to run as fast as we could to catch this chicken. Anyway, so me and my roommate, uh, I was a, oh geez, PFC specialist at the time, young stud, uh, MP, and um, my roommate and I were both trying to get into ranger school uh, back when, when we could apply to ranger school. I know we can now, but this is before. Uh, anyway, so we were in phenomenal shape. We were, we were lifted together, we ran together all the So about mile five or six um, into this run, we were, we were a, a solid mile in front of everybody. It was, it was a uh, release run through the woods, and we were a mile in front of everybody. And I had to go to the bathroom so bad, and there was no there was no there was no getting back. There was beads of sweat, and dude, I've got to stop right now. <laughs> so I uh, I ran off into the wood line, and John kept going, and I just released uh, a unbelievable pile. <laughs> Don't let me. <laughs> it was ridiculous. It was a lot. It was a lot. Uh, so I, uh, I'm sitting there squatting, and I start grabbing some leaves, and I try to do the best that I can to get the, to get the, the shit off my butt. And, uh, and I, I, I sat down into it. I, I sat back down into the pile of shit, and it's all over my ass. And uh, it was splatted up onto my calf. It was bad. And again, the entire company is coming, and I've got shit on me. So... Uh, I, took, I had the back because we had the gray, I had the gray PT shirts and the shorts and the gray spandex, and I pulled them off and I wiped my butt as best I could, and I just dropped them. There's a shell over them. I can't use those any longer. They now belong to the woods. <laughs> so I, uh, now I'm naked and I'll have pants on, and I have about a mile or so to go. So I took my shirt off uh, and I stepped through the armholes of my PT shirt, and I pulled it up around my waist, um, not thinking that there's a neck hole in the shirt. <laughs> And I start running. And um, that's how I had to run home. So I come out of the, the last quarter mile of this run is through the town of Norbrooke. And uh, so I break the wood line and uh, you know, I've got army upside down across my crotch because uh, my shirts, I'm holding it around my waist and I'm just hauling ass to get to the main gate. And uh, all of the local nationals are now lined up at the gate to come to work. Because it's the long, start of the duty day. It's the start of the day. All the all the cooks, all the guys that worked that little hospital there. So here I come, just running by this line of cars, and I just see the MP standing there. I'm like, what in the is Caruso doing now? <laughs> and uh, everyone knew about it. I mean, everyone knew. And I still, for years later, I still bumped into people that only knew me as that. Hey, didn't you have to run home naked from a run because you shit yourself? Like, yeah, yeah, it was me. Thanks. <laughs> But I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Yes, sir. So yeah, that is that is by far the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to me, uh, so far. <laughs> Knock on wood. Knock on wood. All right. So um, many successful people have something uh, like a morning routine that's set for them that they feel like kickstarts their day. Do you have anything like that? What's your morning routine? I don't think it's any different than, than any other leader. 
um, or any other soldier really. I know that uh, if I if I don't get to like today today I went to PT uh, during lunchtime. I headed over to the gym. But if, if I don't get to work out in the mornings, um, I can feel myself. I, I I I'm a different person. I'm a different person if I don't get to work out uh, at least once a day. Uh, I just, I, you know, I, I get easily irritable. You know, you'll know. You, I know you know. No, I do, sir. My, my Absolutely. For two years, um, for sure. You come in. You know, I say to the, the boss, "Do PT this morning?" Didn't do PT this yeah, morning. Okay, well, I yell at me. Um, <laughs> so again, I just, just, it's working out every day is is, in, is important. Um, you know, as it is to all of us. So really, that, that's a bad. There's that's nothing. It. There's nothing crazy that I do. You know, I'm a, I'm a superstitious person, but that's not you know a morning routine. Uh, but I do have to work out. Um, every day or at least do something or I'll just become irritable okay so 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 you started off enlisted graduating from the best training company in the United States Army Delta 787 formerly the dogs now the defenders dogs Um, but then you switched to officer can you tell us a little bit about why you chose that path and who were some of the individuals that you believed helped you to get into the position of battalion commander from that same battalion you graduated from I okay Uh, great question so um, you know, being being in this environment, uh, the, being the commander of, of of commanding the battalion that I graduated from, is unbelievable. I mean, I, I vividly remember the day I was I was told I was coming to the seventy seven. I was at an anti terrorism conference in Orlando, Florida, um, uh, ATO conference out of Hawaii uh, when I was at DCOS out there, and uh, Colonel Dwayne Miller called me, and uh, I had already been selected for command. I was just waiting on the on the assignments. And he said, Steve, I said, hey, sir, what's up? He says, uh, you're going back to the home of the regiment. And I immediately thought 701st. I'm like, oh, nothing against 701st. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's and, uh, and then he said it was, it was 787. And uh, I just, it, it was just a fantastic. It's an unbelievable feeling to come back and command the battalion. You know, I really feel, and I've said that before in my briefs, the drill sergeants here, uh, Drill Sergeant Fawcett and Foster and Dean and Brock, and the, the drill sergeants I had in Delta 787, so many, you know, 1990, right? Uh, you know, they built me. Um, I left here. I left that company, Delta 787, with a who's coming in second attitude that I kept with me for 28 years of service. And, and it was with me every step of the way, um, uh, what, what they taught me and what they did to me in this company uh, and in that company as a, comm- uh, as a private. And I did well in basic training. I, you know, I, I just fit. Everything fit. I mean, I won all the, you know, I'm not boasting. I'm just, I, I just fit. It just worked out. Um, and I had, a, I had a great time in basic training. I mean, I loved it because um, I was good at it, and I, and I found my niche. You know, I was an electrician in Philadelphia before I joined the Army. I, and I'm not going to get into that whole story. But, um, you know, anyway, being a graduate of 787 catapulted me throughout my enlisted time. Uh, and it carried on to my officer time. Uh, to answer your question, the transition, the transition from green to gold um, is something that uh, that same battalion, I'm sorry, the same uh, unit in, in Germany, uh, the commander, um, the commander, uh, Captain Dixon, I believe it was, and Lieutenant John Block, they were ADA guys. We were MPs attached to an ADA unit guarding Hawk, Hawk missiles. Um, uh, those guys would, uh, you know, they saw something in me, especially the lieutenant. The lieutenant Locke would take me out on runs and I was a PFC or specialist, and, and you know, we, I would go running with him. Because at the time, at that time when I was enlisted in Germany, I was also playing uh, all-army rugby. Uh, I was playing all-usurer. I had made the usurer rugby team. 
So I was in pretty good shape, um, pretty, pretty good running shape, and I was, uh, I was strong back then. So, you know, the, the, the fit commander and, and if they, were, they were big, you know, muscle, you know, they, they, they worked out. So they, they saw something in me, and they would take me out on these runs, and we would just talk about, hey, what do you want to do next? And really, John Locke and Captain Dixon um, uh, planted the seed of, hey, you know, there's more out there, you know, uh, and I had no idea. And then when I got, uh, after I left Germany, I got stationed at Fort Hamilton, New York, a little base underneath the Verrazano Bridge uh, in Brooklyn. And uh, as soon as I got there, and I had been taking college courses, so I got there and I, uh, I started uh, aggressively pursuing a, a green to gold uh, exit strategy to come back in as, as a lieutenant. I, want, I knew I wanted to go to college, um, and I had gone to college. I had knocked out maybe two years already while I was in Germany at night school. Um, so it, it just worked out, and it was um, it was a great decision. But I'll tell you, um, and I just talked to one of our brand new XOs, Lieutenant Miller, who just got here, who was a prior service sergeant, first class, and I and uh, he's here now as a lieutenant. And I told him uh, same thing. I'll share here. Um, being Sergeant Caruso first, as much as it's helped me in my career, um, it is it has hindered me equally, um, because you never lose that. You never lose that backbone. You never lose. I've never lost Sergeant Caruso. Um, I get in a knife fight with that guy, with Sergeant Caruso, twice a month, sometimes more. Uh, and I have to back myself off and say, dude, this is not your role. Get out of the turret. You know, when I'm here with the trainees, put the hand grenades down. <laughs> you know, sir, Steve, get off the range. You know, that's not your role. Um, you know, Sergeant Caruso, you know, is out there kicking doors and doing all that awesome stuff, but that's not my role anymore. And even to this day, you know, I'd say a seasoned officer. Um, I still sometimes find myself being Sergeant Caruso because that, you know that's how I was built. Um, so that that's how that's how I made the transition from from enlisted to to officer. Okay. Right. So for the past two years, sir, uh, I've I've learned um, quite well that you have very strong beliefs regarding the MP role at the division level. Can you tell our listeners about that? Your philosophy on that yep, and absolutely. experience. Absolutely, I love talking about it because I think it's so important. Um, I, I, I have a, an enormous amount of division time um, as, as a, a, an officer, uh, both in division staff, deputy provost marshal, uh, division provost marshal, and then de the deputy chief of staff of the 25th ID. Um, and, and I've learned that we as a, the regiment, um, well really I guess it would be branch, um, sometimes sends the wrong officer to divisions. Um, and I, you know, I saw it at Hood. I saw it at Hood when, when I, I, I would see the brigade commander make the selections on who goes down the street to be the BCT provost marshal. Um, and I just, being a deputy provost marshal uh, with, with Dave Stender in first cab, and then again being the division provost marshal on 25th ID, um, it's so important that you send your best guy to do that job. You send your best guy. To, to, to be a, to work in, on division staff because what happens is is um, you have to go down to that, that that plan shop you have to go down to that five that long that long range planner um, usually buried in the basement and you have to convince that guy say you know I understand what what blackjacks or what Broncos force cap is for this rotation I understand that he can only take this many but you're taking a company of your or you're taking a platoon of MPs you cannot go and do this with just an MP squad, and here's why. And Laura, time and time and time again, that doesn't happen. 
so many times I've been in division where I've just heard either the division provost marshal or someone else who's representing the MPs say, okay, well, we can get more infantrymen, we can get more scouts, we can get more of these if we take away from the MPs. And I see the numbers go from a company to a platoon, ah, we can just get rid of one squad. And the next thing you know, you've got that one squad of MPs guarding a Q36 antenna at NTC doing nothing, doing all of the wrong things. Um, we have to send, we have to send our best guys to, to, the, to the division. And you have to get in, you have to learn that lingo, and you have to understand that our role as MPs is to support that BCT commander. Um, that's, that's what we do. We need to support that BCT commander, and you have to learn that, and you have to send your, your, your guys. You know, as a division provost marshal, um, you know, you have to be the guy that walks into the commanding general's office, and you have to convince that six that, hey, sir, you, you have to put your infantrymen on the gate over the 4th of July weekend. You have to, because I need to pull those MPs for, 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 to put them on patrol. I need to increase my patrol distribution, or, or, or the MP battalion needs to increase their patrol distribution, sir. You have to put your infantrymen on the gate over this four-day. And in order to do that, sir, I need to start training them now. And the division commander is not going to want to do that. Division commander, hey, sir, Steve, we, we, have, we have MPs for that. You know, and, and you have to be the guy that goes in and convinces that, that division commander that this is the right thing to do. So do you, do you wanna, do you wanna, you know, do you, do you wanna prevent crime or do you wanna respond to crime? I think, you wanna, I think you wanna prevent crime, right, sir? In order to prevent crime, I need to double my patrol distribution over, over this four day or over this whatever, or for the next six months. So sending a guy to the division who can't do that you know, who's going who's gonna to take the first no and kick stones and, and roll his hat in his hand and walk out the door, he's not helping our regiment, Laura. We, we've got to send better guys. And I tried to do that. I tried to do that, um, you know, with some of our best commanders coming out of here. And it's a challenge. It's, it's a close knife fight with our branch um, to send the right guys to, to, to divisions. Um, and I feel strongly about that. That's how we make our money. That's our, that's our role is to support that BCT. And for those officers who are going to fill that role, um, you know, you mentioned speaking the lingo and, and, and supporting the division commander. So how do we best articulate that? You know, it has to happen. It has to start with the career course. It has to, there has to be more. And, I, and even, even, you know, here there's a battalion commander when the, when, the, when the captains come and brief me on, you know, they're supposed to be briefing a BCT commander on how they're going to support this made up BCT. And, um, you know, I just, you know, I, I, I laugh because it's, it's the things that come out of their mouth, you know, like the first guy who told me, hey, we have more firepower than anything. Oh, my, I wanted to go right through the roof. I'm like, guy, listen, you need to go in there and tell that BCT commander this. You need to tell him, sir, at no time am I going to let EPWs stop your movement. At no time, sir, are you going to have to worry about displaced civilians on your MSRs, on your locks. I'm going to do that for you. At no time are you going to have to worry about the Red Cross beating down your door, sir, because I'm going to get ahead of that for you. At no time are you going to have to work about, or worry about crime in your rear area, sir, because I'm going to be all over that. Those are the things that a, that a, that a, a BCT provost marshal, a division provost marshal, you need to be doing with the, with the brigade commanders and the, and the division command teams, um, getting in and doing what you're supposed to be. You need to be, if you're not locked in to the protection cell of a division, and, and, and linking in with, with, you know, we always used to talk about preserving the force. That's how you preserve the force with that protection cell. 
you know, it's not just MPs. It's it's the medical. It's it's the it's the air defense umbrella. It's the bridges. It's all of that things that all of those things that you're locked into, uh, in the protection cell. And it's such an important job. And time and time and time again through my career, um, I, I have seen decisions made where okay, these are our these are our, our our pod of officers that are sprinkled with pixie dust. These are our KDs. These are our dudes. They're dudettes. Everyone who's left, you guys head over, go over to the BCTs. All right, you're gonna be second, you know, you're gonna, and, and you're gonna be working the event. No, sir, no, you need to send your heavy hitters over there. That's where we make our money. Where do you think those BCT commanders are gonna be when Total Army Analysis is making their decisions? Where do you think those guys, they're gonna be the, the guys making those decisions? And if they think, oh, I remember MPs didn't do shit for me when I was a brigade commander. I don't know, I just feel strongly about it, and then I've seen it, I've seen it through a lens of you know, right up front and um, time and time again. Now I'm not saying that there's there's division BCT. There, excuse me. There's division provost marshals out there right now who aren't strong. They are, they are. There are some great ones, um, but coming up, uh, I've seen I've seen some shitty calls on, on some guys to send over to the division. They, they, you need to send your best guy over there. Over. All right. Yes, sir. All right. Um, switching track a little bit. So you have seven years deployed. In well, a no, it's less than that. Uh, it's about I have I have what, I don't know, seven six rotations. Okay, uh, something like that. Okay, a total of five years, I think. Deployed. Okay, deployed in a combat yeah. environment. Yeah. Um, so I know you have some stories that you can tell us from those experiences. Well, first, my enlisted time, my my first enlisted deployments was was Desert Storm, right out of basic training, right out of here in seven eight seven. We graduated. We were the first company um, since Vietnam since the Vietnam War to get shipped directly from, from basic training to combat. So my entire company went to Desert Storm, and that was an eye-opening experience. I was, in, I, was, uh, I was an M60 gunner on MSR Dodge uh, during Desert Storm, um, and we got there before anything started, and, and what, a, what an unbelievable experience for, for an 18-year-old uh, to go through. Um, that was eye-opening. And that's one of the reasons, you know, you and I have talked in, in our counseling, so, you know, the term kids. Um, it's, it's standard here in the battalion. We don't use that term when we're addressing these trainees. They're trainees or they're privates. They're not kids because I've seen some kids do unbelievable things in turrets. And, and um, you know, when you're in this uniform, you're no longer a kid. So I don't like it. Um, anyway, I, I started off with OIF um, and then, uh, you know, got back into the rotation of OIF 1 and 3. And, and uh, what an unbelievable experience. Now, yes, it, it was a vicious cycle. It was a vicious cycle of deployments. Um, you know, after after we did uh, uh, and, uh, Bosnia with the 64th MP company for that rotation, and then we know when the OIFs picked up, uh, the first one with with, with uh, Colonel Spain and OIF one, and then um, that was an unbelievable experience. Being part of that, um, you know that that I, I, I was selected as the uh, the OIC of the Baghdad Police Academy. Uh, myself and Jill Boyce, uh, she was she was in charge of it. And she put me at the Baghdad Police Academy um, to to help stand up the Iraq Police, Iraqi Police, um, to get them back. And it was a Herculean task. It was it was an amazing job. And it's, you know the news reporters were there every day. I'll never forget the most most uh, one of the craziest things that happened to me over there is um, you know normal day at the Baghdad Police Academy. Um, we're trying to get organized cars, and I had uh, I had. Uh, you know, Bernie Carrick was over there helping to, 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 to put together the, the uh, curriculum um, and, and help us with that. And uh, I had a news team come in 
and asking me as an OIC of the police academy, hey, you know, how many how many Iraqi police officers do you have on the road? How many vehicles? How many of you have sidearms? How many, you know, how much, how many patrols are you doing out of here? And I had all the right answers, you know. Uh, Colonel Boyce was, uh, was, you know, she was a great boss to me over there, and, and Tom, uh, Colonel Tom Blair was, was, was with me over there as well. Um, so I knew all the right answers, because I was there every single day. And um, that night, I'm back in the DFAC, or maybe it was the next night, uh, I'm back in the DFAC, um, and, I, and I look up and I see the President, Bush, and he's briefing my numbers. Like, sure as shit, like, he's briefing my numbers. Like, and there's no place else he could have got those numbers. He got them from me, you know? And it was just, it was amazing that, that like, we were really making a difference. We were, we were rowing. I mean, we were doing all the right things. What, you know, you read Colonel Spain's book. Colonel Spain wrote a book um, about, about Baghdad, about our rotation. Um, and and uh, I, hope, I hope a lot of MP leaders read that. Uh, it talks about all the things we, we went through over there, trying to put that police organization back together. Um, that was like the most significant thing for me, putting that, put that, putting that police academy back together, and then, and then, uh, you know, we got back, we redeployed back to Germany, and then we went right back. Seven months later, we went back to uh, to OIF three with Colonel Brown. Colonel Spain had left, retired, and then Colonel Brown took us back over. Um, and that that rotation, I uh, was in charge of the, uh, not in charge, I uh, was working with the uh, highway patrol, helping put the highway patrol together. Uh, picking up hundreds of, of uh, trucks and identifying locations for for highway patrol stations and stuff like that, and then I turned it over to Ann Dunscombe. Um, just just amazing, you know. Really, you know, stuff that you do that that you could see now you have, you know, you've done something when you left. And uh, fortunately, that second rotation, I came back uh, a couple of months early to get ready to take the Deuce, the two seventy second MP Company fighting Deuce, um, to take them to Afghanistan. Um, which was an unbelievable experience. So, yeah, I do have a lot, a lot of deployed time, but I've learned an incredible amount from it. Um, and you know, I, I use that here. I use that here in this environment, um, in the TRADOC environment. You know, you, you were my commander for two years, one of my commanders, um, and you and I have had this talk. You, I, I would never take an opportunity to take a decision away from you to make to make a decision uh, as Delta Company commander. Um, you are not going to get the experience that I had as a company commander on the Pakistan border with my with the fighting deuce. You'll never get it here, so I I wouldn't even consider coming in and taking a, taking an opportunity for you to make a decision away from you. Um, I'm going to be there to support you, obviously. Um, but I, I, those decisions that I made as a company commander uh, on the Pakistan border uh, built me. They built me. Um, they helped me. You know, discover the kind of, of, of leader I want to be. You know, uh, again, do, do, you, do you reinflate the lung now, or do you wait and, and hope to God that there's a flight surgeon on this dust off? Do you take the hard ball of the riverbed? You know, those are decisions I made every day as a company commander. Every day, every day, we were making those types of decisions. I was making those types of decisions, and that built me. Um, and, and we did an unbelievable job in that company on the board. I put that deployment up against any, any infantry company around. Uh, we, we kicked ass on that border and we did really well. Um, it was good. I, I learned an incredible lot. Now, I, I paid a check. Um, you know, the check I paid is, is the time that I've lost. And, uh, you know, I brought that with me in my backpack here as a battalion commander. Um, when I talk about, uh, you know, once-in-a-lifetime events, I, I don't want my cadre to miss once-in-a-lifetime events. I missed so much of my kids growing up. Um, 
that I, you know, I, that's a big check. You know, I don't get that time back. My kids are one year away from going to college. And I, I keep thinking, you know, I, I missed, you know, the first quarter of their lives. I was deployed time and time and time and time again. Um, that's why I'm so, you know, I'm such kind of an ass here when I say, hey, y you pull the funeral detail before that drill sergeant misses his daughter in the play. You know, and it's everything from my daughter is a tree in a play to my sister's getting married and everything in between. We don't miss those types of events um, because you don't get them back. And then let me, you know, that's my penance. I'll bring that here. So we talk um, often about how um, making mistakes and failure um, to a certain extent develops you as a leader. So can you tell us about a time in your career in which you thought that you'd made a mistake and you thought it was over um, and someone, a leader, a battle buddy or somebody else um, stepped in to look out for you and, and say, no, that was, that was a, a yep. learning mistake. Absolutely. Um, Without a doubt, it's it's uh, it was a situation I got myself into in OIF one. Uh, Colonel Colonel Boyce was my direct line supervisor, and uh, man, we had a team. We had Colonel Boyce and Tom Blair, and we had uh, Ryan Patridge was over there, and Colonel Spain, Tom Evans. I mean, what a team that you're talking about some some legends uh, that that built me as a young captain. Um, so I was in the uh, Baghdad Police Academy, and um, Colonel Boyce had told me. She said, "Steve, hey, stay away from the green zone today." She told me uh, she did her job. Um, she said, "There's there's a protest going on uh, over the radio. Uh, there's a protest going on. Uh, stay away from the green zone entrances." And I was already in route. Uh, and I was I had I had the Baghdad chief of police with me. Ahmed General Ahmed was with me in the in the vehicle. I was in a uh, a Mitsubishi something or other piece of you know something we got. And then I had my my front and rear Humvees. And I was already committed. Um, I heard what she said, I acknowledged what she said, um, but I thought at that time I knew better. I knew Baghdad like, like, like my son's face. I knew the streets, I knew how to get around, I knew I was like three blocks away. Um, what I should have done was immediately stopped and turned around, went back to the police academy and waited for the protest to go on. But I, I, was, I was committed, I thought I knew better than Colonel Boyce, um, and, and, I, and I pushed through. I said, well, look, we're right there. We got like three minutes left. And as soon as I crested, a, uh, came over the crest of a bridge, uh, and as soon as you come down the, the third ID bridge, um, right there was uh, was the entrance to the green zone. And uh, I knew immediately that I had fucked up. Thousands, thousands uh, of Iraqis just uh, protesting. And as soon as I, you know, they're they're rocking the vehicle back and forth and shaking the vehicle and slapping the hood. And Ahmed's got the window down, yelling at him to get out, you know, and, and some of them recognize him. And, and I was like, oh, this is bad. This is bad. And uh, I couldn't turn around on the bridge. You can't turn around on a bridge. You had to wait till you get off the bottom and then come back and try and get back. But, but at that point, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was too late. So, um, you know, my gunners are hunched down. People are throwing rocks and bottles and everything they could find at our Humvees. Is now we're 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 pushing through the you know like like a wedge, through through thousands of people, literally just pushing them with the brush guards out of the way. Um, and then the rounds start popping off the truck, uh, and that's a shitty feeling if you've never been on the receiving end of that. You know immediately what that sound is. Um, and I see the rounds popping off the Humvee in front of me. I'm like, oh, we are fucked. This is going to be bad. And I'm keep thinking, man, fucking Joe, she Colonel Boyce told me not to come here. Um, and then uh, my gunners, man, they, you know, 
they, they do what gunners do. And they spun the vehicle around, they spun the turret around, and they fired towards the muzzle flash. Um, just knocking people down. And now, obviously, at, at that point, we had an open entrance to the green zone because everyone had took off. Thousands of them ran. Uh, but four people died. Four, four, four local nationals died. Um, I don't know if our gunners hit uh, the, the, the men or women behind those muzzles, but I know they fired towards the muzzle flash, and I know there were four men that, that got killed over that. Um, now, I didn't start a fight. I didn't, I didn't pick the fight, uh, but I certainly was a catalyst for that. That would not have happened if I, if I had to turn those vehicles around, and it was a horrible call. It was a shitty call. Um, but again, I was committed. I was, I was right there. I thought I knew better. I was on the ground. She was back at the talk on the radio. Um, and she said, hey, you know, there's a big protest. Stay out of it. And I said, Roger, got it. But hey, we're right there. We got like three blocks to go. And, um, you know, as a young captain, I, I said, we, let's, let's, let's go. We got it. We got it. We got it. And, uh, you know, four, four men died. You know, there's, there's, a, um, there's a guy, uh, Al Lazor. He is um, working range control operations at West Point. Al, Al was the sergeant out there at the gate who let us in. And uh, we met up with each other when I, when I was stationed at West Point. Uh, and uh, it, anyway, it, it was just a shitty situation that I, that I put my, and I caused it. And, and um, it went south fast after that. It went south real fast. I got pulled from the, from the OIC position, the Baghdad Police Academy. Uh, I got pulled from my command queue um, for the investigation. Uh, at that time, I was lined up to take the 615, uh, which John Curry ended up taking uh, because I was pulled from the command queue for that investigation. Now, uh, investigation came and went. Um, you know, you name it, letter rip ran, all that stuff. But I tell you, I'll never forget Colonel Spain standing on the carpet uh, right next to me with the, with the, uh, with the, with the CG. And uh, I, I, I pleaded my case, I apologized, and then that guy swung for the fence, bigger than shit for me. And I, I thought I was done. I'm like, I'm packing my shit. There's no way to get out of this guy. And uh, I was just blown away. And he kept me there, he kept me in the office, and he said things like about courage and about honor and about the way his, his, his troops follow him. And, and, and potential to lead. And I was just like, holy shit. I'm like looking around like, you got the right guy? <laughs> um, and I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that Colonel Spain, after I embarrassed him and the 18th MP Brigade by doing that, that he was still swinging for the fence for me. And man, I tell you, that has been in my backpack every single day since then. You know, second chances, man. Everyone's gonna shit to bed once in a while. And, um, if you're not swinging for the fence for guys that you know deserve a second chance, you're you're not you're not doing the right thing. Ever since then, man, I've, I've taken that I've taken that with me, um, and then we've seen it here in the battalion. Every time I've had to go up, um, I I'm a loyal guy to my team, because I know what that means. And everyone's going to make a mistake now and then. I made a huge mistake, um, but Colonel Spain saw something in me, um, and he saw through it, and he understood why I made the decisions that day you know uh, either way that that 30 40 minute trip back to the back to the Baghdad Police Academy was just as dangerous of, of pushing through that, that last three minutes to the green zone to the gates 
just as dangerous. We were getting shot at every day. So, you know, I made my, it was either three minutes of pushing through this or, or you know, a 30 minute drive back to the police academy. And I made my decision. And my boss told me other, anyway. Um, the point of that is, is that that was one of the worst, you know, where I'm like, this, this is it, man. This is my career is done. And uh, I did, I got a letter of reprimand and he, uh, the CG filed it locally, thank God. But I'll, I'll never forget the feeling of, of Colonel Spain you know, looking at me um, after that, and with just this assuring you're going to be okay, you know, and I'm like, oh, unbelievable, you know, and you talk about everything happens for a reason, I, I you know, I, I survived that, I, I went to, uh, you know, Ann Dunscombe took over for me as the Baghdad Police Academy OIC, she did an awesome job, I went back and I was, I went back to my initial job as the, as the uh, brigade battle captain, which is an unbelievable job to begin with. Um, and I finished out the deployment, and I got back, and I, and I got selected to command the Deuce, the 272nd. And I took that company to Afghanistan, and we fucking kicked ass, you know. So everything happens for a reason. So that, and long, long way to put my worst, my worst <laughs> couple of days yes, sir. in the Army. Over. All right, so um, talking about some more memories that are kind of uh, core questions that we like to ask on Papa Romeo. What's one of the funniest things you've experienced in the Army? Uh, that's, uh, so as a company commander, uh, the 272nd Fighting Deuce, we were, we were in, uh, I had my platoons broken up along the pack border. I had one platoon at uh, down south Pactica province. I had one platoon at uh, Dochina, one platoon at Waziqua, one platoon, um, I mean, where the hell were it? It's been so long. I, I had my platoons peppered along the border in the middle of nowhere and um, I, I was with uh, 10th Mountain 187 Infantry Colonel Toner was my battalion commander I was attached uh, to 187 Infantry 10th Mountain Climb the board um, and oddly the um, the 187 company commander and I were both on Wazaqua at the same time and because um, he had his artillerymen there and I had my MPs and the MPs and the artillerymen would, and the infantrymen would rotate on the gates, and the OPLPs were high up on these hilltops. So uh, we're sitting there, and it's it's, it's fucking freezing cold. It was ridiculous cold. And my, my bed for that entire year was a, was a Walmart folding chair that you know with the little feet that kicked out, and that was where I slept. And we're sitting next to each other, and he's trying to get some sleep, and I'm trying to get some sleep, and then we see a, a loom round come in. Uh, these guys called a loom round in. For 155 and it lights up the sky like it's the middle of the day and we just look at her they look at each other and like i guess they see something you know the oplp sees something moving okay a couple minutes the little round goes out and then sure as shit here comes another one five loom round comes in lights up the whole sky i'm like what the hell do they see and he's trying to call them on the radio and they're not answering third round third little round comes in poof lights up the whole pack border i'm like oh man they've got to see something coming we better get up there so we're freezing cold. We, you know, we're sitting in our fart sacks. We get out, we, we throw our shit on. Uh, we go out of the, our little perimeter and we walk up to the top of this hill. Maybe, uh, maybe five, seven minute walk. And we get up there and the soldiers are in the tower. They're playing fucking poker. And they're calling in the loom rounds to light up the poker game. Oh my God. <laughs> because they couldn't <laughs> see. And uh, we're just sitting there, and like, we cannot believe. Like, you're calling, do you know how expensive these rounds are? And they're calling in loom rounds to light up a poker game <laughs> with three of them, or four of them up there playing poker in a tower. 
Like, God, I mean, God bless America. <laughs> but that company commander lost his shit. And, and his soldiers, their excuse was, well, sir, you know, uh, they told us we have a shitload of loom rounds left, so <laughs> said, go ahead and, and, uh, and, and call them in for practice. So that was probably the funniest thing that's ever happened to me in one of those deployments. Uh, this is crazy, funny shit, though. It's good times. All right, what about the best bonding experience? Uh, you know, it's, 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 there's not one. I, I don't have a best bonding experience, like one time where, where you know, I've been through, you know, where, where we've survived uh, an ambush. I've been through things where we've, we've pulled bodies out of truck, and, and, and I've been through a lot of crazy stuff. Uh, and I've been through some NTC rotations, but uh, I can't, you know, I, I was thinking about that earlier. I, I don't know that there's one time where I've just had an unbelievable bonding experience with, with, with guys. Um, I'd like to think that, you know, all of the guys that have, you know, and I say guys, you, got, you know, service members and MPs that have served with me, um, there's a special bond that we all have, uh, especially the guys in, in the deuce and the company. There's, there's a bond. I mean, they, they reach out to me on Facebook Messenger, you know, a couple times a month, and it's, it's letters of recommendation. And it's, hey, sir, you know, have you seen, you know, Bales? And, ah, no, man, what's he up to? And it's just, it's, it's good to have that, that relationship. Um, you know, that, that's something that's always good that comes out of employments is, you mean, you get to know these guys, like, like, you know, better than your brothers really are. So, I mean, it's an honor to serve with those guys. Um, I've seen some amazing things, and it's some soldiers I've seen. Uh, do amazing things. Um, you know, one time I, I uh, the most the most incredible experience that I've ever seen uh, from a soldier was uh, when I was in a, I was a CJTF one, the first cav. I was a deputy provost marshal for Dave Stender over in Afghanistan. And I was a chief of border operations uh, because I had so much experience on the Pakistan border as a company commander. Uh, uh, the chief saw it. Heard, you know, talked to him, but I talked to him anyway. He put me in chief of border operations, uh, and I was in charge of everything that came near the border in Afghanistan, at least our portion of it. And um, one day I'm, I'm walking out, and I see the DCG running over to the hospital. Uh, a, uh, I met, I um, dust off just came in with a soldier who just got really bad. So we go into the hospital, and um, I, I, he brought me with him. I, I hey, sir, where are you going? I said, I'm going to go check out the soldier just got just got hit. They're sending him back to Germany. I want to see him before he goes. I said, you know, sir, I'm coming along. Okay, hey, Roger, Steve, let's go. So we go over to the hospital, and, and we see this soldier, man. He, man, he is fucked up. He's bad, bad, bad. And um, he could talk, but his entire body is just peppered with shrapnel. And his hands are, are just crumpled up and burnt. And uh, he's just bandaged up all over his face. And it was just, a, I had seen it before, but it was just like, oh, here we go again, man. This guy, I hope he makes it back. And, um, you know, the CG bends over, and he's, hey, you know, and he, he pins a, he gives him a purple heart and he says hey you're going back to Germany we're going we're gonna to get in touch with your family and uh, you know the whole uh, what can I do what can I do for you and um, at that point you're thinking he's going to ask for a Thuraya he's going to ask for a satellite phone to call a spouse or he's going to say you know you know, don't, don't tell my wife anything you know I'll call her from Germany or he's going to say something like that um and, and he, he, he can't talk real well, so he motions for a pen. And then we scramble around, we get this guy a pad of paper and a, and a pen, and um, he starts writing on a, on a piece of paper, and he hands a note back to the CG, back to the DCG, and it's a fucking list of supplies that his guys need on the border. And you're like, you can't even imagine that 
this guy is going through, you know, he's got his body full of shrapnel, he's got all this shit going on in his life, and the last thing on his mind before he gets sent to Germany is, you know, is, is they need more plugger batteries, and they need more simmer, and they, they need more smoke, and, they, and he, he's writing a list of all this shit, and he hands it, and, and he looks at me, these he's looking, I'm like, oh, I cannot believe that this is just, these are the kind of men and women we're serving with. If that doesn't blow your mind, that this is the caliber of men and women we get to work with every single day. Holy shit. Um, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. All the things that guy could have asked for. And he's, he's writing a list of supplies for plugger batteries and, and, and smoke grenades and, and, and shit on the border. To get back to his team. To, to get back to his team. That's unbelievable. That, that, that's who we get to work with every day. How great is that, you know? Absolutely amazing. So that's one of the best experiences I've had. Okay. And then what about the worst day you've had in the Army, sir? Um, well, it was a combination of, of uh, you know, that whole time in Baghdad of, of getting in trouble there. And then uh, I, I lost one soldier. I lost uh, Specialist Seal uh, when I was a company commander, but it wasn't... He got killed in a car accident on pre de- pre-deployment leave uh, in Germany. He, he was going to the airport to go home. And um, the fog, fog on the Autobahn, and uh, going too fast, and traffic stopped, and rear-ended a, uh, a semi. Um, you can imagine. You don't have to explain what happened to him, but it was bad, and it was instant. So uh, I was, we all, the whole deuce flew back the same day. We all had, well, within a day or two, we all flew back around the same time. And uh, Elena and, and the kids were in New York at the time, and I flew into LaGuardia. And, uh, she had just had, you know, the kids were infants, so I didn't want to have to come to the airport, so I took a cab home from the guard. And this is to her house, not mine. Um, so I go to her, and, and as soon as I open the door, I see her, and I'm like, what? And uh, she's like, well, you know, you got to call Colonel Evans. Colonel Evans has called a bunch of times. I'm like, well, what happened? He's like, just call Colonel Evans, call Colonel Evans. And uh, I called him, and he told me the SEAL got killed, and I was, I was blown away. I was blown away. I mean, SEAL was a good dude. I mean, they're all good dudes, but I knew him, like, personally and uh and I was just like oh here we go here we go and we hadn't left yet we already lost one I'm thinking what what is this deployment got in store for us you know it was a shitty accident but uh that that was a pretty pretty low time in my career you know to be a commander and, and, and you do all the right things you do all the safety breaks you do everything right and it's just an accident but I went into that deployment thinking man this is gonna suck this is gonna be a tough one um when we lost SEAL so that's probably the low point Yes, sir. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so how close have you come uh, in in your time in the Army to getting out, uh, like wanting or choosing to get out of the Army? And then who or what kept you in? I, I've never, I remember thinking about it after um, OIF, OIF 3, it was my second trip back and I was told I was taking the deuce and we were I was going to bring the deuce back to Afghanistan I remember sitting there me and Lonnie Duran uh, Star Major Duran he's here now teaching anti-terrorism um, battle buddy and I remember talking to him I was like man I, I can't come back again. I can't go again my the, the, the twins were three four at the time I had missed everything and that's the really the only time where I really considered resigning and, and hanging it up um, and I just couldn't do it. I just, it's, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. 
you know, because I, I had heard about, you know, during that time in the Army, during that time where it was rotation and rotation after rotation, everybody was paying a check. Everybody had to pay that check. And I just, could you imagine putting that rock in your backpack and thinking that I left when I was needed most? Like, there's no fucking way I'm doing that. There's no way I'm walking away from this. I don't care if they ask me a hundred times to go. Uh, this is what I do. I'm in this profession. I just, I would never, I know Steve Caruso. I know the guy that I'm looking at every morning shaving. I know him well. And I never would have been able to live with myself if I left then. You know, getting out during peacetime because you want to get a job at, at Apple or IBM. And yeah, you know what, I get that. You know, you're just kind of marking time and you're, you're, you know, you're headed to a cubicle to do another two years of bullshit. Yeah, I can get that. But, um... I, I, I couldn't I couldn't have walked away at that time. No way. I never would have forgave myself. And I'm glad I didn't. What is one piece of advice that you would give to a younger you? A younger me? Um, here's what I would tell I would tell PFC crew, so I know exactly what I tell a little asshole. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, when I I had said before, I graduated Delta 787 and I went to Desert Storm. And after Desert Storm, I went to uh, Germany and started working the road in Germany, in Bommel, where the, eventually the, the Uselfinch run happened. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, I, when I started working the road as an MP, uh, man, I, Laura, I, I couldn't get the window up of my vehicle because my head was so big. Because I was a cop. I was a, I was a fucking cop and bomb holder. Holy shit. I was a PFC, uh, and I was a police officer. And um, my patrol vehicle was a, was a green TMP van with a cherry top light on it, one light, <laughs> one siren. And it was a van. And it was a van. <laughs> it was a van. That was my patrol vehicle. <laughs> Fucking right. And um, I, uh, I, I helped destroy the reputation of the military police. I did, alone. I, I helped to do that because of the people I would pull over. Because I didn't have a sergeant there. I don't know why I was never on patrol with a sergeant um, who grabbed me by the back of the elbow and said, dude, what, what are you doing? So as a young private, I was working the road by myself, pulling people over, giving tickets, spouses tickets, for bullshit, for bullshit. You know, 37 and 35, that was me, that was me. <laughs> There's a guy out there right now who remembers that from 25 years ago. Remember that asshole MP who gave me a ticket for 37 and that, that was me. I'm like, like, what are you doing? Like, I don't know why I didn't, I just, I don't know what happened to me when I started working the road. And it didn't last long. It wasn't, I mean, I wasn't that MP for years. Uh, I was that MP for, for, you know, a couple of months um, until I started to figure it out. Like, hey dude, same team guy, same team. What are you doing, man? Um, if I would, if I could go back to that 19-year-old Steve, you know, working the road, I would grab him by the back of the elbow and say, "Dude, stop being a fucking asshole when you're working the road, guy. There's nothing wrong with a warning. You, you know, there's, you know, if you know, that that whole uh, don't confuse your rank with my authority. Like I invented that line. <laughs> I think I did. Uh, actually, I don't even think I, I've ever actually used that. But. Uh, <laughs> I, that you know, that's that's one of the one of the great things about being the seven eight seven commander and being able to graduate thousands of MPs, because here's where I pay my penance. 
here's when I get to go out to those thousands of privates that leave this fantastic organization, and I tell them that story before they are launched, before they are catapulted to the post camps and stations all over our great country and our great, you know, wherever our soldiers are stationed, and I tell them that. I tell them that if there's the one thing I could change is when I got, finally got to work the road, you need to reel it back, like way back, guy. And if you find yourself being that dude, you need to stop immediately. Because, you know, know that as soon as you show up to Fort, you name it, you're already behind the eight ball. People already don't love you just because you're an MP. And you show up and you start giving tickets to spouses, uh, you know, for 37 and 35 and, and harassing people, you know. I, and again, I, I don't want you to think that I was, that's what kind of MP I was. I just, I remember vividly starting off that way and then I, I checked myself. I'm like, dude, what are you doing, man? Come on. Um, and then I just did a complete 180. And I, I don't think I, during my enlisted five years, I don't think I ever wrote another ticket. Because I was just, I realized how, how, much, how much damage I was doing to the reputation of our regiment. I really did. Um, and, I, and I was always just, that's it. And, and, I, and, I, and I, again, that's another rock in my rucksack that I carry with me. And I am so thankful that I had the opportunity to command this battalion where we train all of these MPs and I get to do a course course direction, course adjustment before these guys, uh, before these soldiers leave here. Hit the road. And, I, and I tell them that and I know that they know it because I see it in their eyes when I explain to them, you cannot leave here with that attitude. Um, so that's, that's the one thing I would go back and tell the 19 year old Steve, that and invest in Apple <laughs> and buy Bitcoins. And buy Bitcoins. <laughs> Um, all right, sir, is there anything you'd like to leave with our listeners? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I've, I've had a fantastic time deplo- uh, uh, commanding this battalion. I've learned a lot uh, in the 787. You know, that I re- again, I, I remember when I was told I was commanding a trade-off battalion. And um, there was some stone kicking going on. There was some, 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 some ringing of the hat going on when I was told I was commanding a trade-off battalion. As I was like, you got the right guy? It's Steve Escurso, you know? I was built to take the 728th. I was built to take the 720th. I was built to take the 716th. I was built to do that. I could support any division blindfolded on my worst day, and I know exactly what to do. Exactly what to do. I was built to do that. Um, and then I was handed a trade-out command. Unbelievable honor to be even selected. I'm nowhere near better, not even close to the guys that weren't selected. Um, I just had bosses that wrote better, I guess. I don't know. Luck. Luck and timing, right? Um, but I was kicking stones because I wanted to command a battalion that supported a division because I knew intimately I could do that perfectly. Um, and then I got here and I looked at these thousands of MPs and I got it. I immediately got it. And, uh, you know, you talk about the army making, making the right call at the right time. And, uh, man, they, they, they fucking nailed it with this, with this assignment for me. Uh, this is exactly where I needed to be. This is exactly what I needed to do. I'm going out and throwing hand grenades with privates. And, you know, this morning I was at a buddy team live fire with privates talking talking to these young men and women. And then I went out to FTX 4-3 
with uh, Charlie Rock, and I spent some time out there on the lanes where they're doing movement to contact, and I talk to these guys, and I engage, and I throw my arms around their shoulder, and, and I just, you know, I talk about their first assignment to Riley, and I talk about their first assignment, and I say, hey, you know, and man, I, I was so wrong. I was so wrong to even for a second think that uh, I can't believe they're putting me in Tradoc. Because I did, I thought, I thought, I'm like, come on, I really, really wanted to support a division. Um, but man, they got it right. They, they, they couldn't have picked it better. And, and, and a month or two into this job, you wouldn't take this away from me for anything, man. So, you know, I would say that the point of you asking me that is, is when people get selected to come to Tradoc, um, don't for a minute think that you're not going to come here and make just as big a difference um, that you would and, and pick a seven. Pick a seven. Any of them. Any of those other battalions. I've been in those battalions. I've been in, this, in those battalions. And I'm here to tell you that what we do in the 787 would bring those battalions to their knees in a week. The amount of training that we do in a week. You try and pull that off in the 720th, now God bless the soldiers of Gauntlet. I grew up with them. I love them. But the, the amount of training we do in that battalion, in this battalion, would bring the 720th their knees. And right now, today, as we sit here, we've got a we've got a company in FTX, we've got a company on the Buddy Team Lotfire, we've got a company getting ready for graduation, we've got a company, you know, like every day is this pace, and we're doing it with a quarter of the staff. So if I guess that. that's huh? If if that, that exactly. So you're a company commander, you you know exactly what I'm talking about. But that's what I would say. I said you 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 get that you get the trade out card dealt to you during your career, man. You better own it because this is an unbelievable opportunity uh, to to really. Uh, I forge to for I was actually going to say it to forge our regiment, 14th Army Brigade to forge our regiment. <laughs> yeah, I was just kind of worked it in there. So that's what that's what I like to do. All right, sir. Sounds good. Thank you very much for your time and uh, for all the stories you share with our listeners. Thank you, Laura. And you did a great job as a company commander. Oh, thank you, of, sir. of my alma mater. <laughs> Delta said. So let me ask you something, Laura. How do you feel about going off to West Point to teach German? Oh, I'm pumped. Are you? I'm super pumped, sir. You know, I'm going to miss you. I appreciate that, sir. I miss you, too. <laughs> <laughs> you did a great job. All right, sir. Oh. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Papa Romeo. I want to give a big thanks to Lieutenant Colonel Crusoe, the Military Police Regimental Association, and freemusicarchive.org. Be sure to support Captain Steve Wynn in his next life adventure by checking out his leatherworking shop. You can find it on Facebook by searching Wynn Leathercraft. Until next time, assist, protect, defend. Papa Romeo, out. Mm-hmm.